Good morning. Clearly the computer back there knew that it was the uh, B team that was working and it decided to freeze up and didn't want to work for me, so. It happened. Somebody asked why we're having a, a service on Christmas Day. I said, well, the easy answer is it's Sunday. Regardless of the holiday, we feel like it's an important thing for us as a congregation, as the body of Christ, to gather together. And so we're here on this brisk Sunday morning uh, to, uh, to put our focus on him. But please be understanding that I am aware that it is Christmas Day, so this message will be short. Oh, and one other thing, that is that uh, there will not be a Christmas Day on, uh, on a Sunday until 2033. So I'm just letting you know that you don't have to deal with this for another 11 years. So yeah, I told Cruz this morning that Miriam will be 15 the next time that happens. So that's a scary thought. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your mercy in our lives that you indeed did send your one and only son to redeem us. And today as we celebrate, as we celebrate together, as we celebrate in our, our family settings or wherever we might be, Lord, may our focus be on you, and may we be mindful of what you have done for us. And Lord, now as we look at your word, we ask that you would would cause us to to be more and more aware of the things that you have done for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to look at one section of scripture today. 1 John 1, 1, this is uh, John, the gospel writer, who has written these words. Um, and he starts off, that which was from the beginning. You know, that reminds me a whole lot of John's opening verse in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. What, what, what's he talking about there? Jesus, right? Okay, so I want to make sure that we're on the same page. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John here is saying that that God came to earth. I mean, if you think about it, that's really the crux of the the Christmas story. See, Christmas is all about the incarnation, and that's a a really big fancy word that simply means that a spiritual being takes on physical form, if you will. So for us as Christians, it's all about God taking on human flesh, the incarnation. You know, the popular Christmas carol that we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says, hail the incarnate deity, God come in human form, Jesus came. The creed that, we recite, that we're supposed to recite this morning, and the computer didn't work, uh, that we recite a couple of times a month, it doesn't actually use the word incarnation, but it does help us understand the idea because when it says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus was fully God and he was fully human. That's part of the reason that we say that creed um, so often. It's because it's good for us to know what we believe, right? So the text that we read from 1 John 1 says, in essence, that the, the invisible was made visible. In other words, God became human. And this idea of incarnation, of God coming to his creation, it, it's really a unique idea 
with Christianity, at least the way that we believe it. See, there are some religions that would say, well, of course God is imminent. He's near to us. To a Hindu or to a Buddhist, God is imminent in everything. In other words, He's in all things. And if He's in all things, then the incarnation is normal. And because of that, God being visible, of Him being manifested, is just a normal thing. But to them, God would not be exclusively uh, incarnate in Jesus the way that we believe he, he is. So, so if a Christian says that Jesus is God, a Hindu might say, well, sure. But we wouldn't be saying the same thing. Are you with me? Okay, totally, totally different. All right, so the other side of that coin is that there are other religions like Islam and Judaism, for example, and please, I'm not lumping those two together as though they believe everything the same way, but on this particular issue, they would believe very similarly that they, they would both say that God is so transcendent, so far removed from us and our understanding and, 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 and our lives, if you will, that incarnation is impossible. To them, to say that Jesus is God, that would be blasphemy. They couldn't possibly agree with that. But Christianity is unique in that we wouldn't say that incarnation is normal. We wouldn't suggest that God is in everything like the Hindus would, right? But we wouldn't say that it's impossible. We would say that God is indeed imminent, Emmanuel, come to earth as a baby. But we would also say that God is, is so transcendent, so far removed from us, that the incarnation in the person of Jesus Christ is a, is a, a, a pivotal a uh, unique event in all of human history. So Christianity has this unique take on this idea that really sets us apart from other religions. All right, so the verses that we're looking at here in 1 John 1, John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. And he goes on, he keeps making similar kinds of statements. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, we could say that it means that our faith is based on historical facts. And notice that John here does not say I, he says we. So John is saying that he and the other New Testament writers, when you read their accounts of Jesus' life, when you read things like him, I don't know, him walking on the water, him healing people, specific things that he said, his resurrection. When you read those things, they are not just some nice made-up ideas. John, John's saying, we didn't just make this up to, to teach you some nice, nice ideas. They're not fabricated spiritual parables. These are things that we saw. We saw him do these things. We heard him say these things. These are true historical facts that we're sharing with you. All the way from the manger to the resurrection, the whole story of Jesus' life is not just a story, it's true. It actually happened in history. And see, that idea goes against what the average person in our culture believes. See, the average person who is not a Christian looks at the Bible and says that those are nice stories, they're nice made-up legends, they're nice parables, but they didn't really happen. But John here is saying, no, they did. We were there, we saw this stuff. It's real, it's all true. So when we read these verses in 1 John 1, we have a choice. Either these are deliberate lies or they're actual eyewitness accounts. But they can't just be 
made up stories that teach us a lesson. And, there are, and I, the reason I'm saying that because there are a lot of secular scholars of ancient literature who would say the same thing. See, today, in fictional writing, if you read fictional writing today, there are lots of details because they want it to be realistic. When I write fiction, I want you to see the scene. I want you to smell the hot chocolate that somebody's drinking there in that story, all right? But that's not the way ancient fictional writers wrote. They, they would never use those kind of details unless the only reason they would use details is to advance the plot or to develop a character specifically. So let me give you just one example from scripture of, of why I think this is important for us to understand. When Jesus walked on the water, John chapter 6, John six nineteen, it says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. So here's the deal. Writers of ancient fictional literature, pick one, Homer. Let's, Homer would not use that kind of detail in his writing. He wouldn't say that, that uh, uh, Achilles met Hector in battle three or four miles from the wall of Troy. He would have said that because and, unless it helped develop the plot or uh, advanced a character in the story, that's the only reason they would, would use those kind of details. So when back then, when somebody's writing a story, they wouldn't say that they were three or four miles out if it was just a made-up story. But they would if it was an eyewitness account. You with me? So when John said that we heard him, we saw him with our own, uh, we, we heard him with our own ears, we saw him with our own eyes, the obvious meaning is that he was saying, hey, we were eyewitnesses to this stuff. We saw this stuff happen. So think about that. Anyone reading the New Testament knows that these are either deliberate lies or they're eyewitness accounts, but they couldn't be just made up stories that we're supposed to learn lessons from. And I'll say this, if they're lies, there's some pretty crazy ones, honestly. I mean, the, the New Testament accounts were, were written in the lifetime of many of the people who were actually there. So think about this. If you're going to write and you're making this up, you're going to write that there were 500 people in the Kidron Valley who saw Jesus alive after he rose from the dead. You're not going to write that 40 or 50 years later like the, uh, the, the Gospels are written because there would still be people there who would say, uh, no, 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 I was there. You'd have to write that at least 100 years later in order for people to buy into it. And especially if, you are, if you're starting a whole new religion, and you want people to believe you, and there are folks there who could um, say, no, that didn't happen, they're not gonna believe it. You're, they're not gonna believe your claims, right? But here's the deal, they did believe the claims. Why? Because they were true, it actually happened. There were people there that could verify that. So again, 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life which was from the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that the, the, the gospel message that we believe is not that Jesus came to, to live a good life to show us how we could live a good life. 
Someone said that when you believe that, if you believe that these are just like made up stories to help us learn from, if you will, then what you have is a God without wrath who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the efforts of a Christ without a cross. And that's clearly not the case. That's a false idea. The true gospel is that God Almighty sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life and then to, to willingly lay down his life, to die on the cross, to pay our ransom, to pay for our sins so that you and I might be reconciled to the Father and be accepted by him and therefore we can live a life of, of grateful joy through him. See, in other words, if you can look at it the other way, if, if these things that John is saying, if they didn't really happen, then we can't be saved by grace. If, if they didn't really happen, if they're just parables, just made up stories, but at the same time we claim to be Christians, then what we're saying is that we believe that salvation is by works. Just try hard enough and you're in. But if Jesus didn't come to save us, then the story of Christmas is just one more moral teaching that honestly over the long term is going to crush us. If the, if the Lamb of God, the Holy Son of God, didn't come to rescue us, then I wouldn't want to be anywhere near the, 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 the things that we say that we embrace at Christmas time, things like sacrifice and, and being humble and being generous. Because honestly, I can't do any of those things on my own. And truth be told, you can't either, sorry. If not for His true empowering of us, all those things are going to do is crush us because we can't do them. See, if it isn't true that John and the others saw him, heard him, touched him, that Jesus really came and did those things, then honestly, Christmas is pretty depressing. It is. And every year we, you know, we, we read the stories in newspapers or hear about it on television or the radio about Christmas being a depressing time of year. And I, I get that. I mean, circumstances can do that. But if you really believe those verses that we read in 1 John 1, then Christmas can't be depressing. It's not. It's a true historical story of a Savior who came to rescue his people. It's the one true God, Emmanuel, God with us, who came to redeem his bride back to himself. That's the real story of Christmas. It's not a fable. It's not a nice story. It's historical reality. Just ask the Apostle John. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful today for the truth of your word that we know that we can rely on what you have said and that Jesus really did come to redeem us, to rescue us, to buy us back into your family. Lord, we are so grateful for your mercy in our lives. May we never be neglectful of that truth, but instead recognize that you are indeed with us that you have purposefully come to bring us to yourself and to one another. Lord, let that message, that true message of Christmas, 
ring in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives this day. Amen.